Welcome to Grace Spaces. We are a production of the American Baptist Churches of Connecticut. Join us on the second Monday of each month as we have a grace-filled conversation with a fellow sojourner. I am your host, Reverend Jamie D. Crumley. Let's get into our conversation for today. Hello, Grace Spaces listeners. Today I am joined by Brooke L. Gurley. Brooke Gurley serves as the Chief Content Officer for Ambo TV, which is a groundbreaking new Christian network based out of New York City. Ambo TV is like ESPN Sports Center, but for sermons. They bring inspirational sermons from the most captivating next generation of Christian pastors, along with in-studio discussions. Prior to serving as CCO of Ambo TV, Attorney Gurley worked as a civil rights lawyer in Central Florida with her father, who is also a reverend and an attorney. She's a member of the Florida Bar Association, the 11th Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Middle District of Orlando. Additionally, she has served as adjunct professor in the Religion and Philosophy Department at Bethune-Cookman University. Attorney Gurley earned her BA from New York University as a double major in Religious Studies and Africana Studies in 2007. She received her law degree from Duke Law School in 2010 and her MA in Religious Studies with a concentration in Black Religion in the African Diaspora from Yale Divinity School in 2014. Whether she was working as a CCO for AMBO TV or a civil rights attorney, Brooke is driven by her passion for racial equality, education, and combating the marginalization of the most vulnerable people in society. Brooke, welcome to Grace Spaces. Hello, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Well, Brooke, what I would love to start out by asking you is just about your earliest experiences with Christian faith. I see that your father is an ordained minister, and I believe from knowing Mm -hmm. you also that your grandfather is in ministry as well. So just tell us about your early experiences with Christianity. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I grew up in a family of pastors, so my dad's a pastor, my grandfather, my grandmother's a minister, my other grandmother's an evangelist, and a bunch of cousins and uncles and aunts are also in the ministry. So, I, you know, I really don't remember not or don't have a memory of having um, my Christian faith. It's just like an integral part about who, of who I am. So, but I think still when you ask what's like my earliest experiences, I have a few. One is sitting down and having these kind of, theological discussions with my dad. I was like seven years old, <laughs> asking him questions like, um, but where does God come from? And him sort of entertaining this little kid and um, shaping my faith that way. Um, but I also have memories of even going to my parents when I was a little kid, believing in the power of prayer and saying, please pray for me before I have my uh, test at school or whatever it was that was, you know, I had stand, stood in need of. And then I also remember, really, when I think about it, where I learned a lot of my theology is in um, children's church when I was eight or younger, and just having the different ministers come in and and break different concepts and ideas down to us in a way that I could understand as a child, and that really, that still stays with me today as an adult. Um, So yeah, it's just like growing up in a Christian family, a Christian minister family, and those early moments in childhood. So thank you so much for sharing that. And what I'm really interested in is I think I had a similar experience to you where I do remember Christian faith always having been integral to my life. And I remember those experiences of being in Sunday school 
my parents were never in professional ministry by any means, but they were Sunday school teachers and were active participants in my faith life, even as a child. So can you talk more about that? I mean, I'm sure it's a different experience from mine because your parents actually were ministers professionally, but what are the ways that your parents talk to you about faith? Oh, so it's funny you said that's a different experience because it's actually just my father who's um, who's an ordained minister, but my parents, because the church we went to from when I was like two to eight, and that's like the most formative years for me, um, my dad was a co-pastor. And what I remember is like every Friday we would go to the pastor's house, and I didn't realize what was going on, but the adults were having their meetings and planning things for the church and the kids, we were downstairs playing. So one thing that I remember is this, Church meant playing with my friends on a Friday night and hanging out and having fun, Um, but also meant sort of having people within the church, the other children look at you differently. You know, you kind of have this mark on you as sort of being not special, but just a a different child because you were past the girlie's daughter or something like that. And like I said, we left when I was eight, but I think if had I stayed in there, that could have easily gone a different way as far as, living with people's expectations and, you know, how they always say that the, say that the pastor's kids are the worst ones. And I can see how that could have happened. Um, but as far as that experience, again, because the ministers who were teaching us as in youth church, I knew them not just at church, but I knew them, again, we would go on Friday nights and meet up. And so I knew them on a kind of a personal level as well. And it was easier, I think, probably to – sort of embrace what they were saying and um, really take it to heart and and see the love behind what they were saying. It wasn't just like trying to dictate to little kids, but you could see the sense of this is important. I should, I really should take heed and really should take it in and try to use it to grow. Yeah, definitely. And I think now the reason why I'm asking you these questions is because I think, you know, the the, the church universal is in flux, right, as fewer families mm-hmm. take it seriously to have their children in church every week and, you know, to right. raise their children in Christian faith. So what I'm really curious about is you have a really illustrious biography, Brooke. I'm um, you know, um, a lawyer, I'm, you know, a Yale-trained theological thinker, I'm, you know, obviously even that bachelor's degree from NYU is nothing to sniff at. So Kind of my question is, how do you feel like faith has inspired the rest of your professional journey? We'll get to Ambo TV a little bit later, but especially mm-hmm. that call to become a civil rights lawyer and then that next call to study, you know, religion and the African diaspora, how was that shaped by those early childhood experiences, do you think? Oh, well, I mean, absolutely. So for me, having the father that I had, who, like I said, would sit down and talk to a seven-year-old about the origins of God, um, he also imparted to me what I realized later on what some would call liberation theology. But for me, liberation theology is just what it means to be a Christian. So it was all about to be a Christian meant to um, engage in justice and work for the oppressed and help those who are marginalized in society, and, you know, and to do, treat others like you would want to be treated. And so, again, to be a Christian meant to do those things and I knew I wanted to be a lawyer because I was, when I was a kid, I watched Matlock, and I was like, oh, I want that job. And um, I have since learned that Matlock was not really practicing law. But nevertheless, he put the seed in my head that I wanted to 
be a lawyer, and um, but I knew too that I, I wanted to do something within civil rights because again, with my father, the civil rights movement was really seen as what he framed it is this Christian movement that black people were able to liberate themselves and to gain all these rights because of the work of ministers and those in the church. So yeah, so it, it was funny to me when I ended up going to divinity school and people told me, oh, liberation theology, they had never heard of it. I'm like, ain't that just the Bible? Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? So I always knew, again, that I wanted to be a lawyer, but I also wanted to do something that was about fighting for justice because I felt like as a Christian and then as an African-American, it was my duty to make sure that um, that justice was maintained and that we made sure that our, my children's generation didn't have to fight the same fight. So um, I don't think I would have been a civil rights lawyer if I wasn't a Christian because those two go hand in hand. And then as far as, you know, how I ended up getting to divinity school, in undergrad, as you said when you read the bio, I majored, I double majored in religious studies and Africana studies because I've always been fascinated with really religious television, so it's kind of funny that I would end up here. But um, just fascinated with religion, um, and the church and this ability to sort of promote justice and, of course, black history. And so when I saw this program at Yale that it was black religion in the African diaspora, I just thought it was a wonderful synthesis because I wanted to go to seminary, but I did not want to be a minister. I was like, I am not called. I'm not going to call myself because that's dangerous. And um, so, yeah, that's how I my faith informed. I wouldn't be a civil rights attorney if I um, didn't have the faith that I had. Wow. Okay, so there was a lot in your answer there. So first of all, we have to talk about, I think, the distinctiveness of certain forms. I shouldn't say all of, you know, black Christian thought, but certain mm-hmm. forms of black Christian theology, especially the kinds of black Christian theology that exists after the, you know, the traditional phase of the civil rights movement. I think both of us learned in divinity school that there is a long civil rights movement narrative right. as well right. that stretches exactly. beyond that traditional narrative. Um, but especially after that traditional phase of the civil rights movement, our parents are, you know, kind of a similar age. And so I know that both of us have parents who are born right there kind of near the end of that, you know, of, of the prominent mm-hmm. activism around civil rights. And so my grandparents trained my parents to really be, you know, politically active in a certain type of way that I don't even know if it exists around a lot of people in our generation because we've always just kind of grown up with certain freedoms and taken them for granted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on just distinctively what it means to you to be both a person who identifies as Black or African-American and also as a person who wants to identify as being a follower of Jesus Christ, especially in, you know, these current post-civil rights uh, generation in which we're living. So how do I identify as both? I just, I don't know. They both are important parts of who I am. But when you asked that question, it made me think about a Bible study I went to many years ago where the pastor was like, how is it that you have, you know, white evangelicals who will come at an issue with one way and then black, blacks or black evangelicals or not evangelicals, but blacks will have a different outcome? Is it because we put our, and we're both, we're both supposed to be Christians, it's like 
shouldn't our Christian lens be our primary lens? It should be, but in America, at least, it seems that we make our racial lens our primary lens. And so I think to be black and to be Christian means to be constantly aware of which lens am I putting on first and, and making sure, I mean, I guess it would ideally to merge the two, but I guess to see the world primarily as Christ sees it, and then, but also under the reality of, okay, but I'm also, I'm black and there's certain things that um, the society limits me to and I can't necessarily turn um, a blind eye to that, but I don't know. I guess it's just it's a tricky question because it's just like it's to be aware of what it means to be oppressed. I think that's the beauty of being black in America is that it makes it easier for us to understand the words of Jesus when he's like, you know, do unto others or when he's told we're supposed to do unto others as we would have them do unto us and love our neighbors and, and to visit the sick and visit the poor, visit those who are in prison. Um, I think because of our social location, not that all black people are poor, but it's just because of the way that we have been oppressed, it's easier for us to identify with those who are the least among us. And, um, yeah, no, I just, it's always, sometimes it's a tension between the two, and then sometimes it's not, because I think with this generation, at least, um, of black people, there's this sense, and this was also relevant, too, when you had the, um, during the civil rights movement, when we saw the rise of the nation of Islam, is the sense of what has Christianity done for me as a black person? And um, and I, I think that's a legitimate question. To say, okay, God, we've been oppressed for how many years? When, you know, how long, Lord? Like David would say in the Psalms. But um, as we saw, and again, thinking back to the stories that my dad would tell, the story of Moses and how God liberated the people there and God will do the same for us is that um, there, God is a God of liberation and even though it may not happen when we want it to, if we stay the course and remain faithful, God is also faithful to free us of our oppression. So I don't know if I answered that question because I'm just kind of I'm thinking through it as you were saying. It's just relying on God that even though we are dealing with the oppression in America um, that God is still faithful and he's not going to forget us. Yeah, you know, I think it's a really complicated question, and obviously there have been entire books written on the topic. Um, but, yeah, I was just kind of curious, um, you know, with you being a civil rights attorney, with you being a person who, you know, pursued theological education and focused on, um, you know, African diaspora. And as I'm saying that constantly, I realize that some folks who are listening might not know what African diaspora means. <laughs> Oh, diaspora. <laughs> yeah, diaspora yeah. is also a complicated word. Can you define that for us? So it's basically, simple terms, all black people outside of Africa, those who were basically dispersed through the transatlantic slave trade. So people not just in America, but um, in the Caribbean as well, in South America, some in, in Europe as well. Yeah. And so yeah, that's what I did. So go ahead, sorry. No, please continue. No, I was just saying, so my study, because when you think of then if that's what the diaspora is, that's a wide range of people that you can, you can sort of study, and I didn't study everything. My focus within Yale Divinity School was on North America, and so those black people who left Africa and then ended up in North America and how they develop their faith. 
Yeah, and, and the emphasis being there on Christianity, but not necessarily uh, Christianity, because there were other faiths there. Um, I remember actually a book that I read, and this is actually a class I took in, in law school, about Islam and how Islam actually was able to have a place, and not the nation of Islam, but like Islam that is practiced, I think like Sunni Islam was practiced in North America during, the, during slavery. And so that's just not talked about often. We think of, you know, either black people came over and became Christians, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and I think that's part of the complexity of black spirituality. You know, there's obviously a lot that's encompassed when we say black spirituality. And, and yes, I've read some of that scholarship as well that's pointing to Islam as being the religion that a lot of folks traveled with, Um, you know, a lot of Yoruba Mm -hmm. practices that folks traveled with. Right. And the ways that we see, you know, both with indigenous folks and with black folks who were encountering Europeans, even fusions of those religious beliefs with, taking on Christianity, which I think is also part of why black Christianity sometimes just takes a different form because it's informed by other forms of African diasporic spirituality. <laughs> right, right. Well, it, the truth is, like, all Christianity takes on the, the cultural context in which it exists. So that's why Christianity looks differently in North America than it does in, in um in Russia or in Ethiopia, you know what I mean? Like it's the cultural mm-hmm. context really informs how it's practiced. And, yeah, you're right. The same thing holds even within America. You have the African-American experience, religious experience, which is different. Well, thank you for sharing all of that and for blessing us with all of that <laughs> knowledge. I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because uh, one of the things that I really want to talk to you about is your – Still a fairly new job um, working as the chief content officer at Ambo TV. So first of mm-hmm. all, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Ambo TV. What is Ambo TV and how did you become involved um, in, in producing content for them? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I'm sure some people are like, what is an Ambo? <laughs> and that, to answer that question, we – so when I came on board, it was just an idea, and I'll get to that. It was just like a concept. And they wanted a word that had an old kind of religious meaning, but, you know, but give it a modern spin. But So an ambo, broadly speaking, is just a pulpit or a place where they, in the early church, they would read the gospel from. And so ambo TV is ambo TV, the sermon network, and we're a network that wants to sort of give a platform to next generation pastors. And we thought AMBO would be a great word that harps back to the past, but speaks to the present in the sense that we are now trying to create this platform for people to preach the gospel um, and for this generation. It's geared primarily towards millennials, but of course it's for anyone who is interested in the gospel. Um, but like I said, it's the next generation thing. And, and the format is really cool because for our generation, the millennials, we love to you not just hear something, but to talk about it. You know, we love to chat about it. So like I said, it's ESPN Sports Center, but I would say maybe even The View, somewhere in between those two concepts with sermons. So we have a one-hour show that broadcasts um, in the Midwest and Northern California, but you can also watch it on our website at ambotv.com where we, bring, we have a host and we bring in guests who are either pastors or theologians, and they watch sermons from these new pastors, you know, who are engaging, inviting, 
and inspirational, and they just talk about it. There's different concepts, so they either will pull a point that the pastor made and sort of expound upon it, or they will relate it to their lives and something that they're going through. And it's just very, like, very conversational, and it brings the message down in a way that I think that other people can relate. And um, our goal is to eventually, because it's just, like I said, a show, but to build it to this broader network where we're doing even more content like this and that it's happening live so that as, you know, you, Jamie, you're watching from California and it's going on live, if you have a question that you want to ask the pastor or the theologian who's sitting there, you can type that question and we can have this sort of broader conversation, international really conversation around issues. So it's no, no longer is it where you have people just preaching at you and you're supposed to take it and, and whatever, but it's like, they're preaching, and now that's more of an invitation to have a, a dialogue on broader either theological issues or personal issues or what have you. So it's a really great concept because there's really nothing like that where you have, okay, we're going to discuss the sermon together as a group, you know, collectively as a, a either a country or, or internationally. So I'm really loving it. I got involved because so I left the law, although I practice a little, um, primarily because I was very fr frustrated with it. And I was like, oh, there has to be another form of advocacy. And I wanted to get into media um, and just was interested in a bunch of stuff. And so this opportunity opened up. It was like, are you interested in sermons? I'm like, I am interested in sermons. And, um, and so I got it, and I just my initial role was to um, just to find the next generation pastors. And I still do that. But then it expanded to not just a, a network that they wanted to build, but also a blog and, and so much more. And so then I became the chief content officer, and I produced the show, the one-hour weekly show, and um, managed the blog. And um, so, yeah, it's just been a great experience. We're about I started last February, and our show started in March of this year. So we've been up and running, and we're just expanding. I'm really excited for where we're going and the possibility uh, possibilities. Wow, that is excellent. And it sounds like a really great opportunity for people to be able to connect online and to expand their faith and maybe to hear hear from pastors and theologians who they ordinarily might not be able to hear from. So yeah, and I mean, I think especially with they're just seeing so much online now, it's always a good thing to be able to find you know, things that feature soul online as well. Right. So thank you exactly. for sharing about Ambo TV. That sounds great. And how can our listeners um, learn more about Ambo TV and how can they, um, you know, connect and watch your programs? You can go to our website, ambotv.com. That's A-M-B-O-T-V.com. You can check out, we have great articles and content there. You can sign up for the newsletter and receive the articles so you'll never miss anything. Also on our website is our um, the sermons. They're playing, and you can watch those, or you can watch some on demand if you have a particular church. You're like, oh, I like, you know, Victory Church in Tulsa, so I'm just going to watch their sermons. You can do that. Um, and you can also watch our the one-hour syndicated show. We broadcast that on Sundays. And um, we also have some interviews from other, like, gospel artists, you can check us out on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is Ambo Network. On Facebook, we're Ambo Television. And on Twitter, we're Ambo TV. And then we're also on LinkedIn as well. So between all of that, you can get some of our – we do daily devotionals, just like a, 
one or two line word of inspiration based off of scripture. Like I said, on and we have a, a YouTube page where you can watch some of our interviews that we've had and some good stuff there. Yeah. Awesome. So listeners, you've heard it here. If you are on the Internet at all, whether just from being able to use the web browsers to being on Instagram, you will be able to find Ambo TV. And I will put some of that information in uh, our show notes so that you all will just be able to click there and head straight on over to see all the goodness that's happening over on Ambo TV. So, Brooke, how do you feel like working at Ambo TV helped you in your larger mission, which I think is to, um, you know, really serve marginalized people in all the different forms that that means? How, how do you feel like Ambo is helping you with that? Well, I feel like, like I said, I went into media to learn how to use that as a form of advocacy to bring to light certain stories and narratives and my goal and my hope is that through whether it's the blog or people we bring on, because I feel like a lot of the voices that we bring on are necessarily um, prominent voices that you'll see other places, um, but just bringing different perspectives. And I feel like part of the issues that we see today is that people don't understand each other because they haven't really seen each other's stories or shared or been given a different perspective. It's all, you know, one-dimensional. And so with through Amble TV and beyond, just presenting different narratives and stories to people so that they can understand each other's humanity on a better level. So that's what I hope to do each day with Ambo TV. And, and through that, sharing the love of God and, and helping us to love each other as we love uh, our God. So last question before we uh, start to conclude. One thing that I've always been really impressed um, by you about is just uh, the – you know, I think it comes from, you know, having been a lawyer. I think for those of us who have mostly received things like theological education, sometimes uh, we don't necessarily have the tools to just be really practical, right? And I think mm -hmm. from having been an attorney and especially practicing civil rights law, there's a certain practicality to the way that you think through some of the really complex issues of life. And so as we look at the church universal today, and it seems like increasingly there are people of faith, um, and I guess I should say Christian folks in particular, um, who are becoming more progressive in our faith, who are thinking more about ways that we can serve marginalized and oppressed people. We're thinking about race more in church. We're thinking about, you know, you know all the different ways that people are marginalized. So do you have any practical ways, um, you know, practical tools that you would leave our listeners with in terms of ways that they can pursue the cause of justice? Yeah, I mean, I think often we, at least for me, because I can try, my mind can go 10,000 miles an hour. I'm thinking, Lord, I, I need this big mission that I have to do, you know, to do that, to go to some other country and, and plant an orphanage or something. But I feel like on a day-to-day -day basis, one, just be very conscious about loving each other, about loving people you encounter. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's not, it's not, and it's not that easy to do because loving people means that when someone runs, you know, slams into you, you don't get mad. You think, well, maybe that was just a mistake. Or if you've been hurt, you're working, you're actively working to reconcile any broken relationship. You're always seeking connection and you're always seeking harmony with your fellow human being. So even when you don't agree with them, you're not going to let that be an excuse to keep you distant and keep you hating them because you're practicing love. 
Um, that's one. And on a very practical, another practical level, I was just reading, I think it was Proverbs, in third chapter of Proverbs, where they were saying, don't say to your brother, um, come see me tomorrow if you have it to them, if you have, uh, have it to give to them today. And I think for us, you know, if you see someone in need and you can meet that need, then meet it. If it's like, hey, I need $2 so I can catch the bus, then give them $2 if you can do that. You know, someone says they're hungry, you can feed them. Or if someone needs a ride, one of your friends, you can give them a ride. I think those small things are just as important as the big missions that sometimes we think we have to be on, like I said, to start that orphanage. Um, but And sometimes it is starting the orphanage if that's what God has put in your heart to do. But I think don't miss the day-to-day ways you can help people um, that may to you seem small, but, again, that's you doing what um, God has called you to do, you know, feeding the hungry, visiting those who are in prison, um, providing clothes for those who um, are naked. Great. And I think that kind of leads directly into what I like to do at the end of each episode of Grace Spaces, which is just to ask the guests to leave one or two grace notes with our listeners. So you've already pointed to, you know, the need to love and serve each other. Are there any other grace notes based on our conversation today that you would like to share with our audience? One thing, and I know we didn't talk about this directly, but um, I hope that people can see as a takeaway from my life. So I started all, started out in law, and now I'm over here in media, and Lord knows where I will be in the next five years. And I really do mean that. Only the Lord will know that. But it's that what I have learned in this process is that I don't have to have everything figured out but trust that the desires that God has given to me, so for justice and for media, to just go with that and that the Lord will provide a way. You know, as when you step out on faith, God will meet you there. Um, and to embrace the uncertainty of life because you can't have faith without uncertainty. And so to be a person of faith means to say, okay, Lord, you're calling me. First, you're definitely calling me to social justice. You're definitely calling me to impact those who are marginalized, but I'm over here doing this media thing. I don't quite get it, but, Lord, I trust that you're working something out for me. Um, And then, of course, you start seeing a thread through everything that you do. But, yeah, ultimately I think it's just to trust that God is leading you somewhere, embrace the uncertainty of it all, because that's what it means to be a person of faith. And um, and God God is faithful. And if God has called you to something, then he will definitely um, be with you. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. So finally, is there any kind of social media or website that you have um, that our listeners can use to learn more about you and keep up with your journey? Well, Ambo is definitely one. And then I have a blog that I really need to get back. I need to get my life together and get it back up. But I used to blog um, – you can find more of my writing there on social justice and civil civil rights. Well, and that's P A L O O K E S W O R L D. Palookiesworld.com. Uh, again, I talk about faith and social justice more on that website. Amble is more of a you know inspirational, not necessarily the uh, social justice aspect, but definitely inspirational and motivational. And I, oh, and my, I guess my personal Instagram ha- handle is also Pulisi's World, and so is my Twitter. 
Great. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I will definitely share Brooke's personal social media, her blog, and um, Ambo TV information um, in our show notes for today. And Brooke, thank you so much for being our guest on this episode of, of Clear Spaces. Um, I've loved hearing more about your personal journey, your interest, your interest in, you know, African-American spirituality, which, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about over the years. Um, and, of course, about your position at AMBO TV. And I'm so excited to see what will be happening next with AMBO TV. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grace Spaces. Follow us on Instagram at ABC Grace Spaces. Until next time, go forth with faith, hope, and grace.